return this morning to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, or if you will, the book of the Genesis, Greek word Genesis of Jesus Christ, the beginning of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar. And Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Amimadab, and Amimadab begat Neason, and Neason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. We know her as Bathsheba. And Solomon begat Roboam. And Roboam begat Abiah. And Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat. And Josaphat begat Joram. And Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias begat Joatham. And Joatham begat Achas. And Achas begat Ezekias, we know him as Hezekiah. And Ezekias begot Manasseh, and Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josias, we know him as Josiah. And Josias begot Jeconias and his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abihud, and Abihud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadak, and Sadak begat Achim, and Achim begat Elihud, and Elihud begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Matham, and Matham begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Mary, of whom Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah, Christos, Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away unto Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Father, once again this morning we work in this interesting presentation of Jesus the King from the legal side of his right to the Jewish throne and thereby have occasion to make connection once again to the blessedness of this hour and these people who for the most part not only connect Jesus as the King of the Jews but indeed the Savior of the world. We thank you for each person that is here today. May we be hearing in the heart for benefit as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to our individual case. We ask your blessing upon each one, thanking you again for the occasion. In Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. Sonora Dodd of Spokane, Washington, led the effort to honor her father and the paternal bond of the family unit, June 19, 1910. Sonora's mother had died in childbirth, leaving her 
and her four siblings to be raised by her dad, a Civil War vet. She decided that since mothers had a day designated in May for the honor of motherhood, that dads like hers ought to have a day of honor too. And so she's the one that came up with the idea of Father's Day, June 19th. She established it in 1910. Over the following years, uh, that was kind of a regional thing, uh, a growing thing in regards to the nation, until in 1924, President Coolidge uh, recognized the day nationally for the first time, although not officially, just acknowledged it nationally. And then in 1966, President LBJ again recognized it nationally, but did not make it official. And uh, it was President Nixon who, just before resignation, uh, made Father's Day an official national holiday in 1972. The logic of the world is that dads deserve, deserve a day for honor and special attention. In truth, we know that there are indeed good dads and there are bad dads. In truth, we know that all dads, good and bad, are still sinners. We know that Scripture does commend and command that children honor their mother and their father. And we know that good dads do not always produce good sons, and that bad dads do not always produce bad sons. One of the enigmas of ministry is the reality that there are some people whose personal testimony is wonderful for God, and yet they were raised in conditions that we would call bad. And then in contrast, and deeply sorrowing, is the reality that there are some who were raised in a home with a godly mother and a godly dad who today walk and do their own thing in their own way with no acknowledgement of God whatsoever. Good dads and moms do not always produce good children. And bad moms and dads do not always produce bad children. That's just a fact. We know that far more important then your earthly father is your relationship with the heavenly father through, indeed, God the Son. Nonetheless, it is a point of interest and connection today that we are surveying the list of kings leading up to Jesus, the Christ, on this designated day for fathers. By lineage of kings leading us up to Christ, we get to hear of many Jewish father kings. Some good, mostly bad, but good and bad that nonetheless yield for us that lineage that allows us to come to a logical, rational understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Jewish Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. 
Heretofore, we've worked this royal genealogy to connect it to the two great men that were named at the first, David and then Abraham, even though Abraham came before David, David is mentioned first because this is a genealogy of kings. God made promise to Abraham of a land and a lad. God made promise to King David of a son to sit on the throne forever. Matthew helps us to see that Abraham's lad and promise is fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. Matthew helps us to see that David's son of promise is fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus the Christ. We also saw last week the amazing grace of God as displayed in this genealogy in which you find four named women, that in itself is unusual. These four named women come warts and all. Women and warts are brought to the surface of this particular genealogical presentation, named in the lineage of Christ, uh, associated, these women associated with paganism, with perversion, and with adultery. Now, most of the time, when you're going to try to tell a story, a good story, uh, so as to sell someone on someone else, uh, you would uh, leave out the bad parts and only tell the good parts. But that's not God's way. And so when God gives to us the lineage, the genealogy, that adds up to the understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the, the King of the Jews, and the Savior of the world. Uh, we're told uh, the whole story uh, as it is, and as it played out in the context of history. Gen uh, Gentile women are included in the lineage of the Jewish king uh, so that Gentiles might also glorify God for his mercy, the scripture tells us, Romans chapter 15. Tamar, verse 3, Rahab, verse 5, Ruth, verse 5, and then Bathsheba, verse 6, are four Gentile women that are brought to bear upon the testimony of uh, the aspect of David's lineage. I should say three Gentile women and Bathsheba. Uh, and now we add to our understanding of Matthew's selective list of royal genealogy leading up to Jesus, who is called the Christ, fathers and sons. Fathers and sons. We start with the representation of good kings in the genealogy, beginning with Asa, verse 8, but including Hezekiah, called Ezekias in the King's English, and Josiah, called Josias, verse 10. Most of you know that the period of the kings ruling over the nation of Israel after David died was inconsistent and marked by an escalation of evil. Even Solomon, mentioned in verse 6, made provision for idolatry and was the last of the Jewish kings to rule over a unified nation, northern tribes and southern tribes. The list of kings over the northern tribes uh, uh, in totality, number 19, if you want to master the lineage of the northern uh, tribe of kings, you have 19 individuals to read of in the scriptural record. None of those 19 can be called good. None of the 19 kings of the northern kingdom, uh, that kingdom that is called in the late rendering of the Old Testament scriptures Israel, uh, distinct Israel to the north, 
none of those kings can be called good. Uh, the list of kings over Judah, the southern kingdom, which of course included both the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. But nonetheless, the list of the kings over Judah, the southern kingdom, number 20. And so if you're going to master the names of all the Jewish kings that ruled after David, uh, you would have to ultimately uh, look at a totality of 39 different individuals split between the north and the south. And it would be fair to say that of those 39 individuals, the vast majority of them could not be called good kings. The, most, uh, the majority of those kings named of the 39 in the scriptures uh, are indeed uh, of the wicked or the evil variety. And the Bible says exactly that concerning them. Now, one of the strange things about the good kings listed in the lineage of Jesus the Christ is that each of them had a bad dad. Every good king listed in the lineage of Jesus Christ had a bad dad. Now, in order that you might grasp with me this morning the pattern of that, as it plays out in the record of Scripture, I would invite you to join me for just a few moments in 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15, where we read of the father of Asa, and then we read of Asa, the first good king mentioned in the list after David in the lineage, the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. 1 Kings 15 verse 1. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years he in Jerusalem. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. So we're told of Abijam who is a king ruling for three years over Judah who did not do what God would have him do. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was a bad dad. He was a wicked king, as verse 3 reports. And yet, to him was born a son whose name is Asa. Asa, who becomes the first godly king over Judah after a long period of ungodly kings. You read of Asa in verse 9. And in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, reigned Asa over Judah. And 40 and 1 years reigned he in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Maacah, and his daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. Herbert Locker calls Asa a marvel because in spite of the fact that his father was sinful and his mother was a heathen woman, he had heart and devotion towards God. There are people in life that have absolutely no advantage of a Christian home, 
There are people in life that have no advantage of a godly dad or a godly mother, and yet, by the grace of God, show a heart responsive to the Lord, come in contact and connection to the truth of God, and embrace it in the whole. Such was King Asa. And King Asa uh, had a long run as a king uh, over Judah. Uh, Forty-one years Asa ruled uh, over God's people. And uh, there was, were 41 good years to be sure. Now Asa wasn't perfect any more than David was perfect. In the sense of sinlessly perfect. You know that David did things that were atrocious. And yet he is projected to us in Scripture as a king that had a heart for God. And here we're told of Asa. And when the Bible says that he was perfect, it's talking about his, his rule as a king being complete or perfect before God. Uh, he wasn't sinlessly perfect as a man, but nonetheless, he, uh, he ruled in such a way uh, that brought some marvelous years of, of revival and restoration and blessing because he honored the Lord as a king. Uh, he was one of just a few good kings in that kingly line. But the pattern continued of bad dad, good son, bad dad, good son, bad dad, good son. That, that pattern continued as uh, the bad king Ahaz gave way to the good king Hezekiah, as indicated back in Matthew chapter 1 at verse 9. Ahaz gives way to the good king Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the, was one of the very best kings in uh, in all of Judah after David. Uh, again, we would have to say he, he, he wasn't sinlessly perfect. And there were things that were uh, absolutely uh, uh, ridiculous about the aspect of, of uh, his days, uh, to be sure. But nonetheless, uh, uh, that bad dad Ahaz gave way to a good son named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah uh, ruled over uh, Israel for an extended period of time. And, uh, and uh, he uh, was a good king, having a heart for God. Hezekiah was uh, 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 a king whose reign was marked by crisis after crisis, including the crisis of invasion and also the, the crisis of personal sickness. And uh, while uh, we look at the aspect of how he handled some of those crises, and uh, we might not uh, give him all plus marks for those. Uh, the reality is he was a good king. And uh, the people were blessed by having such a king uh, many years after the aspect of David. And then the third good king that I would mention uh, uh, in the record or the lineage of Matthew chapter 1 is Josiah, who is, of course, the boy king uh, that led uh, uh, the nation of Judah uh, in a uh, late uh, period uh, of uh, their existence on earth, uh, uh, a period of revival and reformation over a period of some 31 years. And so when you read this genealogical list of kings, you certainly, as you read the list, are confronted with bad king after bad king, but then there are these represent representative good kings, and we've named three here this morning, uh, that indeed uh, were good. And I would say good kings. Even the Bible says good kings. And yet I would remind you, not good enough. 
not good enough. David was never given a promise by God that he would be good enough or that any of his descendants of a human orientation would be good enough in order to win the day and rule on the throne in a way that would please God. Good kings do not necessarily produce good sons. And not only is it true that, that uh, uh, the three good ones that we've named, Asa, not only is it true that he came from a bad dad, and Hezekiah, he came from a bad dad, and uh, Josiah, he came from a bad dad, but then it would also be true that Asa and Hezekiah and Josiah, by and large, had bad sons. And so the reality is, if you're looking for human hope in regards to this human genealogical presentation of right to the Jewish uh, throne, uh, you're not going to find many. Matthew includes... Uh, the aspect of uh, these who are descendants of Abraham and descendants of David, although not the son of David. Matthew includes them in the listing leading up to Messiah, along with their wicked father kings before them and their wicked sons uh, after them. Reminding us that good kings do not necessarily produce good sons, yet good sons can come from bad parents. It's interesting. What's the difference? What's the difference? What makes the difference in the biblical record? What makes the difference? What makes the difference in my family? What can make the difference in your family? You know the answer. I'll wait a while to say it. Second thing I want you to see in this list is uh, uh, the continuing notation of bad kings that present us uh, some real problems by nature of the lifestyles that they lived, and in particularly one case, that I'd like to cite, uh, the problem of that guy uh, really messes up the whole of the royal lineage. I'm talking about Jeconias in verse 11. And Josiah begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Jeconias is the wicked ruler over Judah just before exile and during the exile that is also called, in the biblical record, Jehoiachin and Coniah. God's prophet, Jeremiah, delivered the news of a curse upon this evil king, as recorded in Jeremiah 22.30. Let me just read for you what it says. You don't need to turn there for the sake of time. Jeremiah 22.30 says, Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man, Jeconias, Childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. And so, from a logical standpoint, the idea of a king on the throne, while it was indeed a continuing reality, uh, even during the exile and then after the exile, or post-exilic period, if you will, once you get to verse 11, 
from a human standpoint, we got nothing to talk about. We might as well pack it up and go home. Because God himself cursed the kingly line after Coniah because of Coniah's wickedness in rule apart from God. So all the direct descendants of Coniah were disqualified from ruling over Israel. And that, of course, would include Joseph, the husband of Mary, verse 16, who was in the lineage that included cursed King Coniah. Joseph had legal right to the throne, but was disqualified from ruling as a Jewish king. Had Jesus not been virgin-born, conceived of the Holy Spirit apart from Joseph, he would have had the curse of Coniah upon him. But Joseph was not the father of the Lord Jesus. Thus, Matthew's genealogy presents to us the legal right of Jesus to the Jewish throne while carefully showing us how the curse was circumvented by the seed of the woman. You cannot underscore too much the significance of precision that is found in that 16th verse. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. What doesn't it say? It does not say Joseph begat Jesus. It does not say that. It cannot say that. And if it did say that, you and I ought to go to a Michigan Adventureland today and get on the roller coaster because there's no reason to come to church. There's no reason to sing hymns. There's no reason to preach. They got nothing to talk about. But it doesn't say that Joseph begat Jesus. It says Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary, of whom the whom refers singular and feminine to Mary, was born Jesus, who is called Christos, Christ. By the way, some of you already know that Luke, in his gospel presentation, gives us another genealogy of the Lord Jesus by tracing back Mary's lineage. And what we learn from the lineage, the genealogical lineage story of Matthew, and what we learn that with that in combination with the genealogical uh, lineage uh, uh, account in Luke, is that Jesus had legal rights to the throne because of Joseph, and he had brought blood right to the throne through his mother Mary. We say it again. Jesus had legal right to the throne because of Joseph. He had blood right to the throne through his mother Mary. God became man. The miracle 
we call Christmas yields to us the God-man, the Savior of the world. But so far in this genealogical presentation, we've looked at the good kings, and we've looked now at the bad kings. I want to mention, I want to mention one more named individual in this list, because out of the period of Israeli exile, and then into the period that we call post-exilic, we are told of a faithful and a helpful man whose name is Zerubbabel. And you find him, of course, in verse 12. Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. Now, uh, uh, those of you that studied Zechariah recently with Joe and Kurt know something of this ruler who in the time of return of a remnant and limited restoration exercised himself with men like Ezra and Nehemiah and prophets like uh, Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi uh, to yield the aspect of, of a phenomenal period of additional prophetic witness to the coming of Messiah. Uh, next week we'll spend uh, uh, time with verse 17 and look particularly at these periods uh, that are reflected, three periods of kingly development. And uh, one of the things we'll say, among others, next week has to do with during this period of exile, uh, in the period uh, that uh, uh, led to what we call the post-exilic uh, period, where that a, a remnant of Jewish people were able to come back to the land of promise and to settle there, that one of the things that happened during that third period was a phenomenal amount of additional prophecy concerning the specification of who Messiah is to be and how he would be known among the Jewish family. Many of the messianic prophecies that you and I talk about often, especially around Christmas time, uh, come out of the section of scriptures that we generally designate as the minor prophets. And those minor prophets so often wrote and gave to us additional information of Messiah, even into this third period that we call post-exilic. And during that post-exilic period, uh, there is this faithful man, there is this helpful man uh, whose name is Zerubbabel. Uh, there is, uh, during this phase of Israeli history, uh, many additional messianic prophecies that are refined, and the whole idea of messianic uh, expectation is greatly heightened. There's a lot of buzz in the Jewish world at the close of the Old Testament era and at the beginning of the New Testament era, even though there's a gap of 400 years between revelatory communications. There is a phenomenal buzz concerning the Jewish anticipation of Messiah, that Messiah is coming, that Messiah is near. And eventually, you have the New Testament prophetic witness of John the baptizer, who says to the Jewish nation, the kingdom of God is here. And so the close of the Old Testament kind of reads like, he is near, he is near, he is near, he is near. 
and then comes John the baptizer, he's here. And that's the unique connection between the Old Testament witness to Christ and the New Testament witness to Christ. But by this genealogy of royal lineage made up of good men, bad men, and some helpful men, you and I get to better see our Lord Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. We get to see Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, one of the thoughts that struck me as we headed into this particular Sunday, working in this particular genealogical text, and believe me, I'll be happy next week to read it for you for the last time. You know, whenever you read scripture like that, you always come away with this thought, why couldn't they have been named Bob and Bill? It would have been so much easier to read, especially in public. But the reality is, I'll read it for you one more time next week, and, uh, and we'll get through it uh, in regards to these, these biblical names. But I remind you that these men in this lineage are presenting to us uh, the genesis. That's the Greek word behind that word generation in verse 1. They're presenting to us the genesis, the beginning of Jesus as the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one. And this idea of uh, genealogical emphasis upon fathers and sons, bad fathers producing good sons, good sons producing uh, bad sons. Those people that believe that somehow the Bible promises that if a good mom and dad honor God that they'll have good children, guaranteed, and there are people that read the Proverbs that way. If you read the Proverbs that way, you're really in trouble when you read the biblical record as to what actually happened because there were many bad kings that yielded good kings, and there were good kings that didn't yield anything good at all in regards to their posterity. And it reminds us that good kings do not necessarily produce good sons, nor do good sons necessarily come from bad parents. That's a good thing to be reminded of on Father's Day. And to turn our focus away from the human to the divine. To make sure that on this Lord's Day, we don't just honor the horizontal relationships that we have with dad or son, but that we honor the heavenly relationship that we have with God our Father through God the Son, the Lord Jesus. When you think about it in the big picture of biblical presentation, it is fair to say that God created Adam and made him to be king on earth. It's fair to say that God created Adam and made him to be king on earth. But Adam introduced a kingdom of sin and death, into which I was born, into which you were born. For as by one man, Adam, sin entered this world. The posterity of King Adam is sin and death. But then, years and years after King Adam, you and I are introduced to the Jewish king, David, a man after God's own heart. 
And yet David in his flesh could not produce anything but kings marked by sin and death. We do not know King David to be sinless. Quite the contrary, we know King David to be sinful. We do not know David's good posterity to be sinless, even though we would call them good. And we certainly can see that many of King David's uh, uh, posterity were indeed uh, uh, bad, uh, sinful to the max, and uh, glad they died. And that's the only line or lineage of hope on the horizontal plane that you and I could ever expect. That the kingdom of humanity, beginning with Adam, is a kingdom of sin and death. King Adam's posterity, King David's posterity, apart from the promise of God, is a kingdom of sin and death. But then God did not create, but made Jesus. Now please listen to the distinction. God created Adam and made Adam king of the earth. God did not create Jesus. But he did make Jesus of a woman in the fullness of time to redeem mankind. The kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of righteousness and life. And so here is the choice that the Heavenly Father has placed on the table for all humanity. You are, by birth, in the kingdom of sin and death. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, Savior of the world, who died for our sins, you and I, by faith, can be translated transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son, which is a kingdom of righteousness and life. Here's the choice. Either sin and death or righteousness and life. Sin or death, righteousness or life. Now, once you accept the Lord's righteousness and life, it's hard to imagine why anybody wouldn't want to. And yet, you and I know that the vast majority of people could care less about this kind of stuff. And so there are very, very, very many more people today at the downtown parade and at the park and at the beach then there are people meeting together to worship and to honor God. But the reason why we're here is rationally and logically clear. And that is 
that we are people that understand the great benefit. By God's grace, we understand the great benefit of righteousness and life over sin and death. And the difference is found in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. That's why we preach about him, we teach about him, we sing about him, we read about him. We continue to honor and to glorify him as the Jews' Messiah and the Savior of the world. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for a great reminder of the superiority of King Jesus. God with us. And not only God with us, but in Jesus, God for us. We delight to sing of him. We delight to speak of him. We would indeed worship him. And thank you, Father, for the privilege today of our understanding and grasp of these glorious and gospel things. Help us then to understand the forever reign as promised the son of David culminating in an hour yet to come when Jesus returns in power and great glory. And in the meantime, while the days are mean, help us that know you, that love you back who loved us first, that believe and have received the truth, to have good moments of gathering, for the purpose of honoring you and glorifying you and courage to witness to a lost and dying world the opportunity at hand. Sin and death is born. Righteousness and life is born again. Let these things be clear in the mind of every saint let these things be increasingly clear in the mind of every sinner. We pray these things this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.